Well, today we are continuing our series, Bucket List. And so we appreciate the mayor sharing some of his thoughts. He mentioned hooting the blowfish. Um, he did not want to let y'all know that coming to Blythewood is going to be Van Halen and Journey. And so we're all very, y'all keep that, don't tell anybody around, and then it's going to be followed up by the Gap Band at the end. Anyway, uh, so today, if you have your Bible, we're going to just be looking at one verse today. We're going to be looking at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. And uh, this weekend, as we know, we are celebrating our nation's 240th year of independence. And if you like history, I, I love history, and whenever you look at, at America and its founding, it is a, America is a unique country. Uh, it is a place that has been special, I really believe, especially blessed by God. But there is no doubt that over a number of years, we have seen a slide and a decline and a, a moral compass that seems to be busted. As a matter of fact, it is, it is, so, it is so strange to, to watch and to see what's happening and, and to look and see we are confused. We are so confused today about what is right and about what is wrong. Uh, we have a, we have, as a matter of fact, I saw that the Olympic Committee, they are struggling with trying to identify what it means to be a man or a woman. And I thought if we get to that place, guys, we are a country that is in trouble. And the things that we used to call right, we now call them wrong. And the things that are wrong, that used to be wrong, we, we now call them right. And, and I really believe this. As we look at items on our bucket list, and I thought since this is the 4th of July weekend, I, I think most of us would agree with this. I would say that most of us have a desire to see America be great again. Now, I know that whenever I say that, we, we look and we say, okay, now that is a political slogan that has been made rather popular by Donald Trump. Now, I'm not here today saying that you need to go out and, and uh, support Donald Trump or not. That's what I'm saying. But I would say this, that slogan, it's a great slogan. And I would say that most people here, I, I'd venture to say that everybody in here has a desire to see America be great again. And so the question is, well, how does that happen? You know, how in the world do we, do we see something like that happen? You know, a whole lot of us want America to be different. And I know that from my perspective, what, what I typically do is I, I've spent a lot of my time standing on the sidelines, griping about what's wrong with our nation, but I'm coming to the understanding that doing that doesn't make anything any better. Um, on, on, uh, on the weekends, I will be at the Y, and I will run, and I will watch the news. And if you ever see me there, I will be running, and my face is red, and I will be talking to the television because I'm watching the news. I'm figuring out that does not make anything better. And so what's going what's gonna to have to happen for us to see America become great again? And this is what I'm really convinced of. If, it's, if this country is going to be great again, it starts with you. And it starts with me. It does not start with us looking at everybody else saying this is what's wrong with them. It begins with us looking to God and understanding that the church, that believers have a role to play in making this nation great. And so today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see God providing some stipulations 
that are required for restoration to take place between God and man. And there is no doubt that there is a brokenness that stands between God and man. And, and what stands between us is the issue of sin. And sin is anything that is displeasing to God. It's anything that moves away from the direction and the leadership of God. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 66, 18, if I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. We're told in Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And so the question for me is, well, how can, how can my relationship with God be restored? Well, in the one verse we're going to look at today, we're going to see God laying out for us those stipulations that bring about restoration. And that's in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. And but before I read it, I want to give you a little background information. Uh, what had happened at this point is Solomon, who was David's son, he was the king of Israel at this time, and they had just built the temple. It was the very first temple, and they were dedicating it to God, and they had a desire for God's presence to be in that temple. But Solomon knew this about people. He was looking down the road, and he knows this. He knew man's natural tendency is to drift away from God. And so Solomon's trying to cover his bases. And he's like, now God, if we do happen to drift away from you, what is it going to take for us to be restored? Because God, we don't want you to abandon us. And that was a part of his prayer in Second Chronicles 6, 39 and 40. Solomon prayed, Lord, may you hear their prayer and petitions in, in heaven and your dwelling place and uphold their cause. May you forgive your people who sinned against you. Now, my God, please let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers of this place. And it's here that God lays out in verse number 14 the stipulations for restoration for the nation of Israel. And I believe this. I believe it applies to us. If we're going to see restoration, we see the answer for us in verse number 14. And the very first thing that I see is if we're going to see our country be great again, let me share something with you. It begins with the church. If our nation becomes great again, if we turn our eyes to God, it begins with you and me. It begins with the church right here. In verse number 14, it says, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land." Now, when I look at where we are as a nation, I, I think, you know, and for me, just in really in the last, it seems like the last 10 years, it seems like we have been it's on an accelerator headed toward a cliff. And we're just, I mean, we're flying. I mean, things are so different now. And I look at what's going on, and I, I, can, I can name all the different stuff that just really, you know, just really gets me, that irritates me. And I'm not going to do that because once I start down the negativity road, I ain't recovering. It's not going to be a good day. So we're not going to do that. But my tendency is to look at all that's going on and to think the world needs to get their act together. Or we're in trouble. Those people need to figure this out and understand that they are dragging us to the bottom. Now that is my natural response. And then I read verse 14 and I become convicted. 
And I discover restoration does, does not begin with those people. Where does it begin? I look in verse 14. It says, and my people who are called by my name. God's people are the focal point for restoration. And I believe if our nation is going to be great again, if we are going to see change made and lives turned around, it it begins with the church. We are the focal point of restoration. It's our responsibility. And, And sometimes I look at that, and that's a little bit surprising to me. But I believe that we partly we are in the moral condition that we are as a nation because the church in general has been complacent. And we just sort of gotten used to things. Now that's, um, you know, the church is a part of culture pretty much in America. Now that's changing, but, but it has been a part of culture for a long time. It's not unusual for for us to see church, especially in South Carolina, churches on every corner. It's not unusual to see somebody get up in the mornings and drive to church. It's not unusual for churches to have their own buildings. And so we just sort of, we're sort of part of culture and society and things are easy for us. And then, then it becomes, it's very easy to become complacent as to what's going on because we're all in our own little world and we're okay. And in our text, that is really what was going on in our text. You see, when Solomon, they've just built the temple, it hadn't been that long since the Hebrew people had come out of Egyptian captivity after over 400 years. And so they come into the the land of Israel, and for the first time they have freedom. And for the first time they have their own place. And for the first time they are able to cobble shots, and everything is going well, and then Solomon becomes king. When he becomes king, it's like they, they, they begin to inherit and accumulate more wealth than they ever had before. So it's not like they were just, you know, scrapping to get by. It's like they'd arrived. And then what happened is they began to coast. They began to let things slide. They became complacent. You know, it doesn't take a lot to slide into complacency. Let me give you an example. I read an article in Newsweek magazine that was talking about some shootings that took place in Chicago and Baltimore last Memorial Day, Memorial Day 2015. Uh, during that weekend in Chicago, there were 20, I believe it was like 29 shootings, 12 people were killed, and then in Baltimore, another nine people were killed. It's a horrible, I mean, obviously just horrible. They interviewed a man who was the president of a neighborhood association in Chicago, and he was very irritated. He said, the press is blowing this out of proportion. He said, this happens in big cities, like Philadelphia and Baltimore and Detroit. He went through all these cities. He said, I was able to stand in my backyard over this weekend and barbecue, and I did not hear one gunshot. He said, the press is blowing this out of proportion. I thought, now that is what happens when we become complacent and things begin to unravel and fall apart and we just begin to think, hey, that's normal. Because as believers, here's our responsibility. We've been called to apply the brakes. We are to be the moral conscience of our nation. We are the ones who are to begin to stand up for what is right and to speak truth. And then also to apply what the gospel says, which is to go out and to love and to serve people and to stand for righteousness. And as we do those things, then things become different. But here's the problem. 
we think time is an unlimited commodity. But guys, time is flying by and we're getting close to a point and we might be there, humanly speaking, of no return. James 4.14 says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your, life will be, what your life will be, for you're like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, if we're, if we're going to see change, it begins with the church. It begins with us. But it also involves something else. It involves not just the church, but it also involves us repenting. It involves repentance. Verse number 14 points this out pretty clearly. It says, My people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, I'm sure many of you are sort of like me in that you like to get stuff for nothing. You know, I like that. It's always nice. Um, if I could, uh, as a matter of fact, if you were to, to tell me that I could be in incredible shape, like those guys that you see on, what is it, insanity workouts? I've told you before, I'm addicted to infomercials. And I watch those guys like, man, that is awesome. Now, if I could get in shape like that without having to do anything, I'm all over that. You know, if I could be in shape without, without having to change my diet or change anything about the way that I live, I would love to do it. But here's the deal. Have y'all noticed life doesn't work that way? I mean, and if, if any of y'all have ever just sat there and all of a sudden you just had six-pack abs, please come talk to me afterwards. But it doesn't happen that way. There is always a price to pay. King Solomon prayed and he said, God, if we sinned against you, what's it going to take for us to be restored to you? And what's interesting to me is God did not tell Solomon, ah, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. That's not what God said. God said, he didn't say, you don't have to do anything, I love people, you're going to be okay, we got this covered. God had an answer. And he had stipulations for them. Listen to what God told him. He says, he says this, he says, it begins with this, you are to come to God and you're to humble yourself. You're to pray, you're to seek God, and then you are to turn from your evil ways. He had some expectations. Guys, yeah, so those are expectations for us as well. Now, very simply put, you can lump all these things into one word. It's repentance. The word repentance, it means to change direction. If you're heading north, to repent means to turn around and to go south. They see, we, we can't, you can't drive down, as a nation, we cannot keep driving down the same road thinking we're going to end up at a different destination. That doesn't make any sense. You, you can't keep going the same way and think, well, this time it's going to be different. For it to be different, there has to be repentance, and it begins with humbling ourselves before God. That word humble, it means to make yourself low. It means, it's, it means to go down before God and to understand His position, to understand our place, to understand, God, you are the one who leads, and Lord, I recognize my place, and I will follow you. Is that easy to do? It's not. And it's not easy to do because we like to be in charge. And I don't like, I don't like anybody telling me what to do, even if they're right. Because I feel like my decisions are good. But you know what? My decisions are not good. On my own, in my flesh, I don't make good choices. The Bible points this out in Romans 8, 6. It says, for the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. 
Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say then walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. It takes humility to understand that we need leadership in our lives outside of ourselves. So God says we are to humble ourselves, recognize our place. And then he says we are to seek him. And that word seek, it means to deeply desire. Now, I will say this, because of the condition that we find ourselves in, how quickly things are changing, I'm beginning to see people waking up saying, I desire God. I desire to see change happen. And then he says that we are to turn from our wicked ways. And that's just simply to take inventory of our lives, how we're living. And if we see things that are in there that do not honor God, the Bible says you turn away from it. You throw it out. You live differently. I read an article that talked about um, some of the major health problems that we have in our country. And it, it mentioned that one of the culprits, one of the big culprits is sugar. So that the average American today, the average American will consume 150 to 170 pounds of sugar a year. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? I'm thinking this year, let's go for 200. Okay, so 150 to 170 pounds. Just less than 100 years ago, the average American consumed four pounds of sugar. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, has, does that have any consequences? Yes, we're all happier. Now, here's the consequences. Uh, the consequences is it's hurt us physically. Obesity has doubled since 1980. They've discovered that sugar, oftentimes in excess, attacks the immune system. Diseases are running rampant. Okay, so if we're going to get better, if we're going to be healthier, what do you think is the logical solution? How about this? Eat less sugar. Okay, right, I mean, that's, that's, we get that, right? Eat less sugar. Okay, if we're going to be, and the same principle applies, if we are going to be connected to God, and we're going to see God move in our lives, but we know that we are taking in an excess of sin, of things that are ungodly, of things that go against Scripture, I think the, the logical answer is pretty simple as well. Curb your sin intake, right? And then what happens? Well, then things will get better. See, our consumption of sin is growing today at staggering rates like I have never seen before in my life. And the result is, is we see broken marriages, we see increased crime, we see unruly behavior, we see a lack of respect. But if we begin to cut back on those things and eliminate them from our life, the Bible lets us know we begin to discover life. So how does America become great again? Well, biblically speaking, it begins with the church. It involves repentance. What, I'm, what happens if we do those things? Do you know the Bible has an answer? It says God responds. Verse number 14, the very end of it in particular, it says, My people who are called by my name hobble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. And listen to what God says. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
The end, the end of verse number 14, that is the hope that we have as a nation. That's the hope for us. Very simply put, when we follow God's plan, we receive God's promises. Y'all, God is not up in heaven looking down on us saying, I can't wait for them to mess up again because I'm going to take them out this time. That's not what God's doing. God, God loves people. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. James 4, 8 gives us a, a great promise from God. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So, so what happens when we seek after God? The end of num- verse number 14 is very simple. It says he will hear us and then he will heal us. That is, that's a promise. He will hear us and then he will heal us. The word heal very simply means to restore. God does not desire for us to be outside of fellowship with him. That's why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus here for restoration because our sin has overwhelmed us. And Jesus came because he said, I can pay the price of sin for you. And so he gave his life for us on the cross that we might be restored to him. And so as, as a believer, it is, it is not, it's not healthy, it's not going to do any good for me to sit and to complain and to gripe about what everybody else is doing. Y'all, the responsibility lies with God's people. To come before God and say, God, we will put ourselves under you, we will humble ourselves, we will repent, and we will live for you. Will that make a difference? Let me tell you something, if we actually begin to practice what Jesus says, it radically transforms people. People are always amazed when they see the truth of Jesus lived. It always gets people's attention because a life touched by Jesus is a life that is always changed. And our world needs to see changed lives. And church family, it begins with us. You know, whenever I look at the condition of our nation, I, I, here's what I think of. I think of Luke chapter 5, the story of the paralytic. And you might remember the story. The guy couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. His friends came to him, said, Jesus is coming to town. And they said, he can change your life. You know what they did? They grabbed him and they carried him to Jesus. They took him to Jesus. When they get there, the, the house is jam-packed. They can't get to Jesus. They didn't just quit. You know what they did? They climbed up on the roof of a house and they cut a hole in the roof. Can you imagine owning that house? And they cut a hole in the roof and they dropped, or not, didn't drop him. They lowered him down to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus looked at him and said, Your faith has made you well. Take up your mat and go. You know what the guy did? He got up, grabbed his mat, and left. He was healed, he was restored. Now, church, that that is a picture of us. We are the friends, and we have people all around us who are spiritually paralyzed. What's our calling as a church? Bring people to Jesus. We're going to see our nation be healed. Y'all, it's not rocket science. It's you bring people to Jesus. Because Jesus changes hearts. Jesus changes lives. He transforms. You cannot be touched by Jesus and not be changed. So what's our calling? Repent, humble ourselves before Jesus, and bring people to Jesus. 
See, you want to see the you want to see you want to see the world be different. Bring people to Jesus. The Bible says twelve men turned the world upside down. So it says about the disciples. Do you know that on Sundays we have about eight hundred people that gather together in our three worship services at Village Church. Do you think eight hundred people can make a difference in Blythewood, Northeast Columbia? Twelve men can turn the world upside down. What do you think we could do? Think things could become different? Y'all, if, if we're going to see change, and we're going to see our nation become great again, if we're going to see revival, it doesn't begin out there. It starts here. It starts with you and me saying, God, move in us. God, begin to change lives here, and may it spread. Because, God, we believe that you restore. Y'all, our country is in trouble. We all know it. It's in trouble. And it's not going to change because of politics. I know that's not shocking to anybody in here. It's not, it's not going to change because of three million more laws that we decide that we're going to make in order to dictate people's behavior. It's not going to change it. Jesus is going to change that. Only Jesus can change that. But we live in a place where the world is paralyzed. And you and I have friends and neighbors who need to be brought to Jesus. My encouragement for you and for me is let's begin to pray beginning now and this week and say, Lord, lay on my heart who you want me to reach out to, who you want me to invite to church. Lord, who you want me to pray for, who you want me to approach and say, I am here for you and I'll pray for you and I'll serve you. How's America going to be great again? It's going to be great again as we allow God to work through us. May we see, may we see a revival. Thank you.